It was uh, hard to turn on a TV last year, this, this time last year, or, or go to the cinema and not see a commercial that starred Matt Damon. It was for Crypto.com. And it took place, the setting of this commercial was Matt Damon kind of walking through this, it almost looked like a space shuttle type thing with different scenes on his right and his left. And he chronicled different times in history where people took great risks and were rewarded. And other times when they didn't and were not rewarded. And, you know, he closes the commercial saying fortune favors the brave. And and the implication of it is, uh, you can have a life filled with fortune. You can have a life filled with meaning and matter, you know, if, if you invest in this crypto company, which I checked, it's not doing so well these days. But <laughs> it, it was one of these commercials, you could tell they spent a lot of money on it. Obviously, they, they paid Matt Damon to be in it. And it was pretty, it was kind of like simultaneously pretty compelling and also kind of silly. Uh, but it's tapping into something that we all long for, you and I want a life that matters. We want a life that's filled with meaning. And this commercial went viral for a lot of reasons, but one of those is it taps into the things that we think will give us those meaning. And the the scenes he passes by are like Sir Edmund Hillary summoning Mount Everest, the Wright brothers taking flight, Oddly, it kind of closes with this couple that's like on a dance floor in a nightclub type scene. But, but, but the implication is this, is that you can have a life of meaning and fulfillment if you accomplish really great things. Like learning to fly or inventing an airplane. Or just having a life that's really awesome. Where you get to go to cool clubs and do cool things. Ultimately, if, if you want to have a life that, that, that's filled with meaning... And that matters. It's, it's going to be one where you're really productive and you accomplish great things or where you have a lot of fun. We are parachuting this morning into the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a collection of the teachings of a man who is referred to as the teacher. There's debate as to who the author actually is. Many think it's Solomon. Whoever it is, this man has amassed lots of wealth. He's very intelligent. He's done a lot of things and he surveys the world and he's like asking the question, does any of this really matter? Spoiler alert, the answer is no, according to him. Life under the sun, which is his way of saying life, if you're just going to look at the world and everything that we do and all the toil and and effort we put in, if you're just going to look at what we do on a daily basis apart from God, His conclusion is that it is totally meaningless. It's all vanity. It's a striving after the wind, he says repeatedly throughout the book. And then the sections following chapter 1 and chapters following, he kind of explains how he came to that conclusion. He talks about how he became really smart, how he did lots of things, amassed lots of things, and it all led him to realize nothing can satisfy. It's all meaningless. And in the section we're going to look at this morning, in chapter 2, 1 through 11, he's going to specifically look at how pursuing a life of pleasure, of accomplishing amazing things, of indulging yourself in amazing experiences, 
is ultimately meaningless apart from God. And so we're going to look at this just under two headings this morning. Where do we look for significance and pleasure and where does that lead us? So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 starting in verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man." So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. And the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, all was a vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, as we begin a new week and a new year, we gather as those who long for significance and yet so often struggle to feel like anything we do is significant. As we look at your word this morning, would you be so kind to expose the ways we pursue these things in meaningless ways and to guide us to the only one in whom we live and move and have our being. Guide us in your truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In the past month, you've likely heard, maybe sang the song Joy to the World. Uh, We're in one of the stanzas we sing, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. One of the things Christians have historically believed is that the curse of sin has affected every part of creation and every aspect of our being. And there's a lot of effects that result from that. One is that Because sin affects every aspect of a creation, no matter where in creation we look for satisfaction, it will always leave us wanting. It will always leave us feeling like we need more. But but the other effect of the fall, the other effect of this curse, is that we will still look, we're deceived into thinking that we can still look to creation to satisfy us. So the effects of the fall are that creation cannot meet our longings. It's always going to frustrate us. And 
We are deceived into thinking that it can satisfy us and that we can find fulfillment in these things. The author of Ecclesiastes is viewing the world through that lens as someone who is trying to find fulfillment, who's someone who has tried to find fulfillment in creation, but apart from the creator. Try to find fulfillment in the gifts apart from the giver. This whole book really summarizes what Paul writes in Romans 1, where we worship the creator over the creation. And so where does he look? Let's, in, in this passage, he looks to find pleasure. He looks to find meaning and significance in pleasure. And, and when we think of pleasure, we often think of it as kind of just doing things that we love, that are fun. But, but it can really, he divides it into kind of two different categories. One, the way we find pleasure in kind of probably the way we think about it more commonly just doing fun things, indulging ourselves, playing hard. But, but he also says we can find pleasure in working hard, in doing great things, getting a great reputation. So let's look at what he says. Self-indulging, playing hard. Uh, verse 2, he tries to find life. He tries to find satisfaction. He's been told uh, that, that he can find life and meaning in pleasure. So he does this test on himself. Listen to the word he says. He says, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's been told you can find happiness and joy and meaning in this. And so where does he look? Verse 2, he looks to laughter. It's not too dissimilar from some of our pursuits or some of our thinking. We can often think, I'm having a bad day. What do I need? I just need to laugh. I just want to like watch something funny. That'll make me feel better. Text a few friends, hey, send me a gift or a meme. Just make me laugh. He tries that. Verse 3, he goes to alcohol. And it's a little bit confusing as to how he approaches this. At first, it sounds like just a little bit. But he wants to have this, the same experience with alcohol as the children of men. Many of you have been there before. Okay, this is a hard day. Or it's kind of boring. What could give me life? What, what could kind of spice this up? What, what could make this more fun? What would actually make me feel alive? And so we run to alcohol. Where else does he run? Verse 8, concubines. He runs to sex for satisfaction and pleasure. Later in verse 8, his singers, great experiences. He's throwing a concert at his house. This guy is really rich. He's not writing this as someone who's on the outside looking in like, hey, I've heard that if you look to these things, they don't satisfy. He's like, no, 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 no. I've done all of that. All the things that you're tempted to run to for help, I've done. I've been there. This guy's just an open book. Great experiences? Yep, I ran to those. I had the money to do it, financed them, did it, ran there. Sex, alcohol. I mean, he's rich enough to have concerts at his house. To think that great experiences can deliver us, can give us meaning. We've been there before. How many of you, even this week, have seen a picture of like someone sitting in a pool? It's like one of those endless pools, you know? Remember what they're called, like edgeless? It just looks like they just fall off a cliff and there's like a mountain in the background. Like, man, I want to be where that person is. That would be awesome. That would deliver me from whatever the anxiety or sadness I'm feeling right now. This man does that. But he doesn't just do it through kind of like the obvious things. 
you know, some of these are kind of like the obvious. If you came to church, you're thinking, what are things that the Bible warns against? You're probably thinking, oh yeah, that makes sense. Sex, drugs, women. Yeah. But no, he actually also looks for pleasure in, in working hard. It's not just these obviously sinful things that he tries to find meaning in. He does a lot. Verse 4, he, he makes houses, vineyards. He also cares about like his city. He, he's building parks. This guy is like a wizard. I mean, he's like building parks and pools that, you know, funnel the water to feed the fruit trees. It's like crazy, super smart, cares about his community, does all these amazing things, builds parks for other people to enjoy, has tons of property. Takes something that's not that great, makes it into this amazing park. We want to be like that. I remember hearing the story of Walt Disney. Do you know how many people like in the 1930s and 40s went to Orlando on vacation in the summer? No one. No one ever did that. He took like a swamp and made it into one of the most visited places in the entire world every year. Like how awesome must he have felt after looking at that and proving all those people wrong? We want to be like that. We love the endorphins we get when we accomplish something or we get the attaboys. This man has those things. This man knows what it is to work hard, to play hard. And he sums it up in verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. He's Jeff Bezos rich. He's Stephen Hawking smart. He's got it all. He's done it all. And yet where did this lead him? Verse 1, he looks to, verse 2 looks to laughter. It's mad. The end of verse 1, behold, this was also vanity. You may have heard that before, but the the word vanity that he's using, it's like vapor. He's saying all of this is like a vapor, like this fog. It's it's there right now. It's going to be gone. You, you, you 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 can't capture that. You can't enjoy it. It's going to go away. All of this is like that. All these things that I've done, it's like a vapor. He summarizes this whole section, verse 11. Then I considered all my hands had done, all my hard work. It was a vanity. It was a striving after the wind. There's a lot of ways the Bible talks about our sin. Sometimes it talks about it in, in, in ways that it's uh, our rebellion against our king. It also frames our sin in such a way that it talks about it in, in ways that it goes against how we're designed to live. God's designed us to live in a certain way. When we sin, we're going against our design. Another way the Bible talks about sin is that it's just silly. It's just dumb. When we don't listen to God, it's just absurd. Why would we not trust him? And, and you see that in the way he describes these pursuits. He said it's like striving after the wind. Imagine you're at the park this week and uh, maybe you're there and you're running on your own or you know you're with friends or family and you see someone you respect like Jeff Heiser for example and let's just see you see him and he's in the green and he has this net and he's running and he's just running through the field with his net you're like hey Jeff what are you doing trying to catch this wind you know I'm just trying to it's awesome wind is awesome I want to try and catch it like, that, that is so absurd. It's so absurd. But if you saw him, you'd be like, man, Jeff, that's, 
kind of funny. It's kind of sad that you're doing that. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's also just ridiculous. Maybe we should call Cecilia. Like this is pretty sad, funny, concerning. The author of Ecclesiastes is saying what you and I in our most lucid and rational moments know to be true. That when we build our life around all these things, and they're not bad things, but when we build our life around them, when we try and find meaning in them, it is meaningless. When we try to find joy in them apart from the giver of joy, it is like chasing after the wind. It is that absurd. It is that silly. And you've experienced this before. You've experienced where this leads. It often leads to anger and embarrassment and shame. Maybe you've had an experience where you didn't even realize you were building your life around something until you realized how angry you got when it went away or you couldn't do it anymore. If a life of meaning for you is finding meaning in doing lots of things and being productive or achieving a certain body image or meeting certain fitness goals, it's going to leave you frustrated and angry when you don't meet them. Or it might even leave you ashamed if your body can't keep up with the person that you used to be able to keep up with. Some of you opened up Christmas presents this past week, and maybe it was a present you've been looking forward to for a long time. Kids in the room, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you had, had gifts that you've been hoping for for a long time, and if, and, if you're, and if your house is like my house, some of those gifts we opened up, and, you know, they just did not operate the way they did on the commercial. Or maybe they did, but we did not operate them that well, and within a few hours, maybe they broke. Or maybe they're gone. We've all had the experience of longing for something and hoping for something and then it not meeting us. And it leads us to more emptiness, to more sadness, to more shame. What do we do with this? What's the point of Ecclesiastes? What's the point of this sermon? Is the goal of you to leave here this morning viewing life the way Taylor Swift views relationships cynically? Um, no. The, the, the point of Ecclesiastes is not, this is not to say, hey, all of these things are bad and we should view pleasure and working hard cynically. But the author of Ecclesiastes is giving us a grace and actually showing us the meaninglessness of building our lives around those things that we might find meaning in the only one who can give us satisfaction and meaning. This is not a road to cynicism. It's actually a road to grace. The invitation is not to just view this world negatively, but to actually run to the only one in whom we can live and move and have our being. And you can trust him. This, this passage is kind of summarized the folly of this is all summarized when he says at the end of this, in verse 11, notice what he does. He says, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. When you view this world and all the things in it as just an opportunity to gain things for yourselves, it will leave you empty. 
But when you view them as a gift, it changes everything. And you can view them as a gift because the God who created you and made you for significance is also the one who did not withhold his own son. The God who made you has sent the son in whom he was well pleased to die for you. He's pleased in those who've put their trust in him. The pleasure we long for are at his right hand. So you can trust him. You can trust him and put your hope in him because he has not withheld any good thing from you. So this week, we'll close with this. My encouragement to you is this week, this year, those things that you love, those ambitions that you have, what would it look like to not view those as opportunities just to gain things, gain a reputation for myself? What would it look like to view those things as gifts to thank God for and to share with others? May we do so by the help of his spirit and the power of his son. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. God, you've given us so many great things. Lord, we confess the ways we've put our trust in them instead of you. Lord, as we will close in singing in a few minutes, Lord, we pray that you would unveil your beauties to our sight that we might love you, our source of true delight, more and more. We ask this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.